Welcome to another episode of Ready Teacher One. I'm Adam Mangana. And I'm Ryan McLaughlin. And with us today is Dr. Aditya Nagrath. He's the founder and CEO of Elephant Learning. Dr. Nagrath, it's a pleasure to have you on the show. Welcome to Ready Teacher One. Thank you for having me. I appreciate being here. Absolutely. Dr. Nagrath, would you just start by telling our listeners a little bit about Elephant Learning? Yeah, absolutely. Um, it's an online math academy for children. It's a gamification of a curriculum, uh, which means that it plays like a puzzle game. And in this system, on average, children learn about a year and a half of math over the course of 10 weeks when they use it uh, just around 30 minutes per week. That's absolutely wonderful. And uh, I noticed that you have a quite, a quite an impressive background in math yourself. Is that right? Yeah, I got a, a PhD in math and computer science from the University of Denver, uh, graduated in 08. Fantastic, fantastic. I was a, a math undergraduate myself, so always, uh, always ple pleased to meet a fellow math nerd here. Dr. DeGrath, tell us a little bit about why gamification was the strategy that you chose to go with for elephant learning. Well, so like the challenge is, is that you do got to walk a line because like there's people out there that are making games and then there's people out there that are making curriculums. But in reality, what it is that you have to give the student for them to understand the ideas or the concepts or the language, however you want to call it, is the experience. And so like what we do is we provide that. We provide the experience and we provide it in the right order uh, because order is important for this stuff, uh, for the language. And, um, and because of that, we see, you know, accelerated results. So when we think about a curricula, and, and I think you're absolutely right, uh, Dr. McGrath, you, you need artifacts and components that make a complete curricula. For you and, and, and for Elephant Learning, what are those artifacts that make the curricula valuable? Uh, you talked about engineering experiences. What are the elements of that kind of uh, planned, delivered, and received curriculum? Um, yeah, I don't, I'm sorry. I didn't understand the question. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, so what makes those, those experiences, what makes those experiences really powerful when you say in order to have a curriculum, you have to have, you know, these engineered experiences, what are the artifacts that make those experiences really valuable to the learner? Right. Okay. So like, I mean, the way I like to think about it is like with the colors. So like when you show, uh, when you're teaching your child the colors, you have to show them red things in order to label them red and then for them to distinguish that you're actually referring to the color and it has nothing to do with the object. In a similar manner, like the thing that's going on with mathematics is that you actually have to exhibit the idea and label it in order for you to understand what it means. So like if you think of something like seven plus four, well, as an experience, that's give me seven things, give me four more things, how many things do I have now? And so like by giving the student that experience and then connecting it to what is written math, now the math makes sense. Now when the teacher is discussing a strategy, it's a new way to solve a problem that the student's familiar with, can think about, and, and like the education of that becomes different. And we see this up in, in, in uh, higher level mathematics. This is how it's treated. We, we talk about what are the definitions and what does it mean? It just turns out that most of our elementary education is just definition. 
So we're talking about uh, familiarizing students with math vocabulary. Is that right? That's, that's ultimately, if you boil it down, that's what it is. Okay. So how does the, I have a third grader and a second grader. For our listeners, talk about kind of onboarding them to elephant learning. What does that look like? How do, how do my second grader and third grader get access to um, the vocabulary of second and third grade math? Okay, so <clears throat> what happens is that uh, you sign up through our website, and um, as you come in, we customize the system to your student based on their age, and we allow you to change it so that, you know, like, it's good for 80% of the parents, but 20% of parents might come in and say, oh, my, my student's further behind than that, or further ahead, so I want to set it ahead, so we allow them to do that, um, but basically, the student starts out in a placement exam. And the placement exam was intended to start behind the student and catch up to their level. So then it, they have the experience of a puzzle game where the puzzles are easy and they quickly get uh, very, very difficult. And then once we've found their initial level of understanding, we start providing them the puzzles that basically hint them up to more uh, advanced uh, techniques. So like, for example, like you have counting and then you have count on. So counting looks like I always start at one and go to the number that I have. Count on is um, I'm able to start at five, for example, and start counting from there. That's wonderful. I, I know from your website that you are inspired a lot by Maria Montessori's uh, work. Tell us a little bit about how the Montessori view of education sort of informs the approach that elephant learning takes. Yes. Yeah, so like, I mean, kind of the other way around, we started from the research and came out. Um, and what we found was that Montessori's system was very similar to what the researchers were already saying were the most effective activities. So now then it was a matter of like, could we figure out the order, which is what, you know, actually mathematicians are very good at, right? Like when we write uh, those theoretical papers, we have to figure out how do we present the definitions and how do we present uh, some understanding and then the theories that we've come up with. Um, so we, we did that work. It was me and Alvaro that did that work. Now uh, that's wonderful. So it was more, uh, a finding that the research backed up what Montessori was doing rather than coming in from a, uh, an ideological bent then. A absolutely. And we've met, uh, with some of the leaders of Montessori in the Denver area and they're looking at what we're doing. And I mean, they're literally saying, God bless you, because like the thing that you're offering I mean, it's available to everyone at the price point that we put it out there. Oh, Got it. And talk, let's talk a little bit about that business model. Is it is it uh, direct to consumer or are parents paying per participant? Or do, are you B2B? Are you selling to uh, institutions that are that are um, rolling this out to students? How does it work in terms of signing up and what are the, what's the cost structure? What, what are the what's the pricing? What does that look like? Right. So. Uh, until now, we, uh, we've done it on a, basically on a subscription basis, just very simple. We started at $35 per month. Honestly, we started at $10 per month, but people didn't understand the value. So like we started at $35 per month. And what we quickly found out was that uh, parents were leaving out the younger students because the older students were already exhibiting issues in school. The younger students were not. So immediately we turned it into a family plan. So we said, okay, this is a family plan. And then that way the younger students can come into the system and, and experience the benefit. Um, 
then because of the cost increases that everyone's experiencing, uh, our acquisition costs have gone up. So uh, the advertising costs on Facebook, the advertising costs on television, et cetera, those are also moving in that direction for some reason because of the chip shortage. I don't understand how I saw an article that connected it, but I didn't get it, to be honest with you. Long story short, <laughs> um, we took it up to 55 last year. And, um, and so now what we're going to do is it's going to be uh, $50 for one student and the family plan is going to be $90. And uh, what parents are going to get as additional value is two uh, tutoring sessions with our results counselors on the phone. So they are able to look at the data and we have a system based on the data to advise on, you know, what is the next move that you can make as the parent or the students could be making, or even if we have to step in and tutor the students. So it's basically two tutoring sessions, if that's what's necessary, uh, a month included in the price. And um, I mean, it's extremely competitive versus anything else out there. We're guaranteeing the result. If you don't learn at least one year of math in three months, we'll refund you. Very cool. Dr. McGrath, you know, I, I'm sure some of our listeners are thinking, you know, gamification sounds great. We want students to enjoy math. We want them to have a good time while they're learning. But, you know, unfortunately, the way things are nowadays, at the end of the year, they still have to take a standardized test of some sort, be it a, an end of course exam or, or a state mandated test. Um, what do you say to those parents who say, look, you know, um, that all sounds great. I would like for my kids to have fun at math, but what I really need for them to do is grind out these practice problems because they're going to have to bubble in A, B, C, or D at the end of the year. Well, I mean, if you don't understand what you're doing, what you're actually recommending is called torture. There you go. Right. You're, you're recommending that the student continue do, doing these procedures that they don't really understand what's happening underneath. And I mean, long run, like what kind of a human being does that end up producing? I mean, I, I want my child to be happy just like the next child. And so I want them to be able to sit in class and participate. And in doing so, they will then also be able to pass the standardized exams. That's fantastic. So, Dr. Negraff, this is very exciting. It seems like there is this, uh, you know, new wave of, of uh, PhD turned entrepreneur because of what the technology has allowed for the ability to scale, you know, some of your innovations. For our more tech-savvy viewers, you know, we're a, a podcast that really targets, um, you know, those who are looking at uh, education and emerging technologies. What are some of the emerging technologies that, that, that you think might impact your business? Uh, blockchain, AR, VR, um, AI, and, and how are you, what is your plan to, to integrate some of those materials in your coursework? Well, so like, I mean, I guess there, there is something interesting with some sort of a, maybe a, a, a VR type experience, because if the student's got to be there, I, I think the challenge is, is that like, in some of these directions, uh, there's natural, like human, like, pushback, meaning like with some of these technologies where you have to put things on your face, they never seem to work out. Uh, like we had 3D televisions for a minute. We had, I mean, AR, they've been trying to push it for about a decade now, but like it's really hard to walk around with your phone in front of you. And again, putting something on your face, it's something, right? But like, I don't know, maybe one day this thing gets cracked and like 
they have something that's so amazing that like you have to put it on your face because like, I mean, you're going to overcome that. Um, when I look at like what's coming out, I mean, I'm not really thinking about necessarily how do I integrate it? Uh, because like we built the thing kind of scientifically, you know what I mean? Like we measured everything and like it, everything's very careful. We're still measuring it. So like if we detect problems as they come up, we can go in and we can try to solve them. And I mean, ultimately we're trying to solve kind of larger problems than that right now. Like how do we effectively run teams? How do we affect, right? Like everything in our ecosystem ultimately has to end up becoming effective, um, which is theoretically what the branding is. So, uh, I mean, it's just kind of hard to say, you know, like, you know, where, like if you were to make a bet right now, where to throw your money uh, per se, right? Uh, though I'll be honest with you, automation is a sure bet. And so like, uh, I, I'd look at that. Okay. So um, you, you were talking about the way that you guys have engineered it. For our more technical uh, listeners, you know, what, how, how and, and no trade secrets, but, uh, you know, I imagine that um, you guys were very intentional with how you constructed your platform. What are some of the, uh, what are some of the innovations from a programming perspective that you guys use to gamify math? What maybe, what some of the languages you wrote this in? What are some of the things you learned as you were building? Absolutely. So like the problem that we actually had to solve was this thing needs to run basically everywhere. And so like, this is actually all done in web technology. And that's probably the big innovation, right? Is that this is actually a, a gaming engine that we custom built in order to do this um, and in order to do this using only web technology so that it can literally just run everywhere. We support Chromebooks to like, I mean, everything more than that. So like, um, and we're on Android, we're on iOS and we're on Amazon Kindle Fire. So that's kind of the big deal. We did it all in JavaScript, copy nice. script. Nice, nice, nice. Yeah. So our, our listeners are certainly familiar with, with game engines, um, and, and unity and unreal because most of our listeners are, are folks who are who are in the 3D space, but uh, we we don't often get that uh, get the folks who are working in that 2D space. So it's really fun to have you uh, have you on. I think we're ready for the Furious Five. That sounds great. All right, Dr. Negraf, uh, this segment is called the Furious Five. It's five questions that don't necessarily have anything to do with what we've been talking about today. They're just kind of a fun way to end the show with a get to know you sort of round. Uh, the first question of the Furious Five is. What's the best meal you've eaten recently? Uh, you know, what's really interesting is uh, Taco Bell had like this uh, cantina taco. Have you tried that? It was pretty good. I've not. It, it's been a long time since I was at a, doc, uh, a Taco <laughs> Bell. Dr. Negraff, to be honest with you. Uh, <laughs> there you go. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Uh, the second question of the Furious Five is, what's the best movie or TV show you've watched recently? Uh... I saw Red Notice the other day, but I don't know if that was the best. Let me think here. It was one night before that. That was pretty. Oh, you know that like, gosh, what was the name of it? That cowboy movie that's on Netflix that they're pushing. Oh, I don't know. Uh, yeah, that's. I saw that. <laughs> nice, nice. <laughs> right on. <laughs> what uh, cowboy movie? <laughs> the cowboy movie. Excellent. 
<laughs> I'm sure Google would have an answer it's a, for it's, us. It's, it's, <laughs> hold on a second. We got to do this now because, like, I mean, it's it's a really interesting movie. Uh, is what it is. Hold on, Netflix, you cowboy. <laughs> Uh, the harder they fall. The harder they fall. That's what okay. it is. We got <laughs> listeners. We got a resilient group here. These folks are Google searching. I don't know. This is a violation of the Furious Five. One word answer. <laughs> That's all right. That's all right. Question number three of the Furious Five is: What's your favorite book of all time? Uh, Stone Spaces. <laughs> okay, I'm not familiar with that one. Who's it by? <laughs> uh, I can't remember now. I don't know where it is even. It's a, it's back at home. That's all good. That's all good. Uh, question number four of the Furious Five is, who's a thought leader that our listeners should stop what they're doing and either go follow on social media or watch a TED Talk by or just in general pay some attention to? Uh, there's a gentleman named Mike Valentine. I think y'all... They can find him. <laughs> right on. Okay. Awesome. The last question of the Furious Five is one that we like to call the contrarian question. And this is a question that really belongs to Adam. So at this point of the show, I always like to turn the mic back over to him. So Adam, why don't you uh, take us home? Dr. DeGraff, um, there are many things that will change in online math education over the next 10 years. What will stay the same? Yeah, I mean, the, it's the thing that we're that we're we've we've done here. It's the this the, these ideas don't change; they're universal. That's the whole thing about it. Like you know, if you there was this article out on Steven Spielberg and how they were going to do ET. They did music because music ends up being universal, but they were going to do it with math first. And so it's like this thing; these ideas, they're just true and they're just out there. Just. I mean, only because you can think. And I mean, they're not going anywhere. They've been around for thousands and thousands of years. If you look at our Facebook right now, we're, we're doing profiles on uh, mathematicians over the years. And we're talking about like 3000 BC, 6000 BC. And so it's like, it, it, it'd, be, it'd be silly to think it's going anywhere. So, so that's, this is a really interesting. Yeah, go ahead, Ryan. Yeah, I was going to say, this is a really interesting point. And I know we, uh, you know, the Furious Five is usually where we wrap up, but I want to ask just a little bit more about this, Dr. McGrath, because, uh, you know, someone who was a pure math guy in undergrad, um, I find it interesting that one of the bigger trends in math education is towards greater contextualization, I guess, is the, the right way to say it, greater um, focus on the particular rather than the universal. Um, and when I talk to fellow pure math guys like yourself, we tend to lean back on the universal and the timeless, uh, the good, the true, and the beautiful, as my friend Adam would say. So tell us a little bit, uh, I mean, as a pure math guy, is that the case? Like, am I, am I reading your response correctly? Like, we're leaning back more on the universal and the timeless rather than on the particular and the contextualized, and we think we've got a good reason for that? Well, I mean, the contextualize is what? It's the, it's the process. It's the procedure. This yeah. is how you do it. And so, like, what's happening in, like, math education, and it's human beings. So, like, I, I like 100% understand. I, I did the same thing when I was a TA, right? When someone comes to you and asks you, how do I do this? Your response is going to be, this is how you do this. It's just 
100% human. And now, because I'm doing this project, I understand that my job is not to do that. My job is to stop, step back, and then ask myself, you know, what is it here that potentially the student does not understand uh, about what's being communicated with the mathematics, right? Because like, uh, uh, even if you're looking at like algebra, right? If, if they're asking you, how do I solve this? Then they're not getting it because like the thing is, is that what we're teaching is strategies. And like there's certain times that you can apply the strategy. And yeah, ultimately, if we want to turn our children into computer algebra systems, we could. I don't see the benefit from doing so because then they wouldn't be able to control the actual computer algebra system. <laughs> right. That's 100 percent right. Okay, so I have to, to bounce an idea off of you that my friends think is crazy, but I, I constantly bring this up at uh, cocktail hours and coffee shops with fellow math guys. We should teach set theory before we teach algebra. What do you think? Yeah, I mean, to some degree, that's true. And to some degree, I ran into this problem when we, when we made our algebra curriculum. Um, and, and the challenge is, is that like the amount of language that is necessary right away is also challenging to deal with. And there's like, the tree is complex because like some of the ideas they depend on. So like they fudge and, sure. and we don't understand that this fudging uh, is actually worse than telling something precise to the student, even though like maybe at first they don't understand it. Maybe they have to look at it and think about it for a minute. What's the big deal, right? But like these fudgings, for example, with continuous functions, right? Well, it's something that I could draw without lifting my pencil off the line. Look, I mean, we're talking about children in middle school. Like, uh, I, I, I remember hearing that and thinking, I don't know if they're trying to like insult my intelligence, but whatever, right? I'll accept this as a definition for now, right? But like, sure. if you tell me precisely what it is, the problem is, is you need limits. Well, you don't see limits until you get to calculus. That's a more complicated idea. So like, we, I mean, if the school system could accept that you just can't talk about continuous functions until you understand what a limit is, then we could actually teach it in a way that would make sense to all students. And it's, and it's fascinating how many concepts there are that are like that though too, right? I mean, my favorite example is uh, of course in algebra one curricula, we, we force children to memorize that uh, the X coordinate of a vertex of a parabola comes from negative B over two A. Well, why, you know, it's not until they can take a derivative that you can show them like, okay, look, you know, you put it in standard form, you take the derivative, set it equal to zero because the slope is horizontal at that point. And then negative B over two A comes really easily from that. And I used to love when I was teaching AP calculus to, to stop people in their tracks and say, Hey, you remember that thing that you learned five years ago that you were just forced to accept on blind faith. Let me show you where this comes from. And you would see, jaws across the floor of all these kids that were like, oh my God. But uh, there's so many examples of what you're talking about, right? We, we fudge. Yeah. We ask kids to accept on blind faith. We, we ask them to just take these concepts and, and go with it and bubble and see, you know, but. And, and you know, is, I mean, is it's more answer... complicated than that. Because yeah. like sometimes they're not paying attention. Sometimes we did make an effort to say some of these things like, Sure. The, the experience that you had there, I had once tutoring uh, calculus. So like I showed the person how the, like the X, X to the N derivative occurs through the proof. And yeah. then I said, well, do you want to see the proof for the other ones? And they said, no, I believe you. 
right? Like, what's the point, right? Like, this, you're going to show me true things now. So, like, the thing is, is that, like, when you show a human being something that's true, right? Like, just, yeah. like, true. They are forced to accept it. I mean, like, really, like, forced to accept it. And that's, <clears throat> that's sort of the thing is that, like, it's hard to do your job as a teacher if you can't start with true things. So that's a perfect segue into the last half of this question, which is, Dr. Negraff, what is it that you know to be true about internet entrepreneurship that other internet entrepreneurs would disagree with you on? That they disagree with me on. I mean, the challenge is, is that like, there's, you're always going to find someone that's going to disagree with you on something and then you're always going to find someone that's going to hear it and then say you know what that's good that's a really good idea uh i mean if it's a good idea so then it's hard to kind of pinpoint <clears throat> any one particular thing well let's go let's go let's go <clears throat> specifics you know when we're talking about commercializing math gamification what insight do you have what do you know to be true that other uh, other folks like Desmos and, uh, and uh, uh, Khan Academy and these other folks who've tried to uh, monetize, um, you know, uh, asynchronous math um, instruction online. Uh, what do you know to be true about that game that they've missed? Well, so the, the, the honest trick would be to, to, to not try to cover everything that the curriculum says to cover. Yeah. Less is more, less is more. And I, I, I love, you know, Dr. Negrath, what you were saying just a moment ago fits in so well with an ongoing conversation that Adam and I have about math, which is that, look, the, the curriculum treats math as if it's just a toolkit for science, right? Or a toolkit for economics. When you and I as pure math guys know that math is epistemology, it's a path to the truth, right? Um, and I, I love that you're taking that approach. It's it's actually, I mean, it's just valuable everywhere. So like uh, at some point, and I don't remember where, um, uh, where exactly I learned this word, but it was an amalgamation. Yeah. And ultimately what like business is, is taking what you're seeing out there and amalgamating into what you do. Because like ultimately you can only do business the way you, you are, uh, and so then like what you then have to do is you have to be able to amalgamate in the right ideas. And like, sometimes like, you know, like to, to make it more specific so that it's kind of understandable, like uh, every branding person I've ever met has a different definition of branding. And the problem is, is that like when you talk to them and if you say something like, well, this other guy told me this, unless they're like really being honest, like most of the time they're just going to say, I don't know what you're talking about. This is how we do it. Right. Sure. And so, and so what you have to be able to do is you have to be able to look at all the different ways people are doing it and then take those ideas and amalgamate them together. Right. So that then you have the way that you are doing it. That's awesome. Dr. McGrath, it's been such a pleasure chatting with you this afternoon. Uh, where can our listeners find you on social media? Uh, Surefire Ways on LinkedIn, but you can also find me on Facebook and you can find Elephant Learning online, Facebook, LinkedIn. Uh, but again, the best way to sign up is just going to the website, elephantlearning.com. Elephantlearning.com. 
Awesome. Thank you so much again. It's been a pleasure speaking with you. We look forward to watching you continue to succeed. All right. I appreciate it, guys. Thank you. Take care, my friend. Bye-bye.